When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I'm Mike Golik Sr. That is not Jessica Smetana. Sorry, gang. And sorry, Jess, for even kind of mentioning that in the same breath. This is one Jason Fitz, such a wonderful friend of mine. We were teammates together at ESPN. Jason in, uh, with Yahoo Sports now, also Fox Sports Radio. He has uh, helped come in and fill in on uh, Gojo and Golick and with this show as well. Jason, always appreciate it. How you doing, man? Man, I'm not as good as you. Let's just start with the most important thing of all time. It's your birthday. Like, I'm hanging out with the man, the myth, the legend on his birthday. Is this, this was the birthday present you asked for, right? Like, you just wanted time with me. Absolutely not. This is like getting a lump of coal in the, uh, in the, in the stocking. But, you know, I'm going to, what I'm going to do, it's like a bad play in football. You have to get up and roll with it and go to the next play. So that, that's what, I, that's what I'm doing here. And Jason's right at the taping of this show. It's Tuesday, December 12th, the taping of this show. That is my birthday. I have turned 61 years old. And I'm getting a lot of, you know, happy birthdays, you know, whether it's Twitter or from family. And especially people, now family knows what's going on today. But like Twitter, oh, what are you doing on, what are you doing on your birthday? And so I want to ask you, I want to have a discussion about this. And and there's no right or wrong. If you want to have a a knock down, drag out, unbelievable birthday party until you're 100 or until you die, more power to you. But I can't remember when it really stopped, Jason, but we we don't do anything. I'm turning 61 and I'll do nothing. Everyone just in the family, hey, happy birthday, dad, cool, and we're done. How about you? Is it is it an extravaganza everywhere for you where, you know, you get your coffee maker and your foam maker on your coffee and... Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> Here's the, here's the most important thing. I got you something today. I got me a donut. Like there's a little place right across the street, Pink Box. Uh, I'm in Vegas. There's a Pink Box donut place. So I got a, it's a peppermint cheesecake oh. with cream cheese frosting donut. Wow. And I figured I would just eat it in front of you during the course of this show just to rub in that I've got a donut for your birthday. Also, because I've become this beacon of fitness, I rarely eat things like this. This is going to have me sugared up. I'm going to be hopped up for the rest of the day. So I just want to, I want to make sure that you know that this donut that I'm going to eat during our taping like a professional is really your birthday present to me. Uh, so, uh, but to answer your question, Mike, no. And funny thing is, as you know, and many people know, I spent years on the road with the band Perry. I shared a birthday. We had a, gir- uh, a girl on the, the road with us. It was a cousin of one of the Perry's. Her name was Ann Carter. Ann Carter had the same birthday I did. And Ann Carter was big into like, she wanted birthday parties and birthday balloons and birthday week. She wanted all of that. I wanted nothing, nothing. I don't need my birthday to even be acknowledged. And it became totally contentious on the road because she felt like if I didn't have my birthday, since we had the same birthday, right. If I didn't want to make it a big deal, she felt bad making it a big deal. So every year it became this thing when we were on the road, they'd throw this huge party to, for Ann Carter. And for me, they would just put a little bucket of cream cheese frosting on the side that I could eat with a spoon. And that's all I wanted. So, you know, in honor of 
your birthday, I'm going to eat the donuts. You go, go ahead. ahead and eat the donuts. Mm. You know what? I, I think that's pretty impressive on you. Your birthday present to me was actually a gift for you. That's classic. I mean, I am, I am very impressed. You know, we worked together a lot of years. I'm very impressed with that move out of you. Very, very happy. And never, there will be nothing I will remember more in our time together. Two things. One, I remember the first time I was walking in the halls. I tell this story all the time, but I was doing a show with Junior on ESPNU. I'm walking in the halls and Mike Golick Sr. walks by and he's like, hey, watch the show. You and Junior, hey, you do a good job. It meant the world to me then. I found out later that you never really cared and didn't watch the show, but no. uh, it meant the world to me. Uh, but then the other one is the day that I brought an entire cake into the morning show. I ate my piece of the cake and then threw the rest of it in the trash just so that you couldn't get any. This was in honor of that. That was probably as close as I've ever beaten you to a pulp when you threw away good cake. And, and you're right. So it goes along decades. People ask, man, how do you, how do you, you, you know so much, you know, when you're talking on the radio about all the different topics. And I call that BS with conviction, right? Say it like you mean it. It was like when I met you and I said, I, I thought I really liked what you did. I had no idea who you were. I had no idea you were doing the show with Mike. I just made it. I just wanted to make you feel good. And you bought it, right? You made, it, it sounded like I listened and thought you did well, right? It worked until I realized I saw you do it to other people. And I realized that I had been catfished. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. And here's the other thing. I'm going to celebrate after we're done doing this by, and I've talked about this many a times, Orange Theory Fitness, I, I, me and my, my son and his wife and my wife, we own a couple of them in Boston and I love them and they're great for me, great for everybody, but they work really well for me with all the surgeries from football of not doing a lot of lifting and strain on my joints. You have become an Orange Theory fanatic and I'm so happy about it. Sometimes you scare me a little much with how far you go, but still, it's impressive. Yeah, and you know I've said this many times, but it was Junior that I reached out to in January in Connecticut. For anyone that's ever spent any time in Connecticut in January, it's a gloomy time. Yeah. And I reached out to Mike, and I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to get out. And Mike was the one that said, just go do Orange Theory. And so the funniest part of that is I walk, he said, walk into – I didn't know anything about it other than you look great. And so I was like, look, I've seen the results for you. I'm going to go try this. So Mike, being Mike, gives me half the advice I need, tells me nothing, and just says, walk into the studio about 10 minutes before, tell them you know me, and you're there to take a class. So I walk in January 13th of this year. I remember the day. I walk in, and I, I walk up to the front desk, and I'm like, I want to take a class at like 6 in the morning. And they're just staring at me. They're like, did you sign up? No. Uh, did you fill out any waivers? I don't know how to do that. Do you have the app? No. And then I said, but Mike Golick Jr. told me just to come in and, well, they had changed all of the front desk staff so like they a month know before. Him? They're like, I have no idea who Mike is. And I'm like, oh, so yeah. So it was the most awkward, but <laughs> to Mike's credit, he was right. I did one workout. I signed up for the uh, for the biggest plan because I knew if I, you know yeah. me, I'm cheap. Yeah. So if I spend money on it, I'm going to do it. Which is stunning. I can't believe you didn't start with the four classes for the month. That, nope. that blows went, my mind. I went all in and now, you know, I, I actually worked so hard that I, I ended up with a stress fracture for a little while. I had to heal that. So even having missed three months with my foot in a boot, I am, I hit 170 classes this week. So this year, 170 classes it's changed my life. Good yeah. for Cut you. my body fat in half. I've only lost seven pounds. Like I'm, I'm spell I told Mike, I've got one ab and like my one abs trying to get another ab to move in. Like, I don't know. I might end up with like a whole neighborhood of abs. It's just, it's going to be amazing Good for you. You're like that success story that as owners and as you know, investing in orange theory, you like to hear that it works because it does work, you know, it's, and, and it used to not be 
for guys a lot. It used to be a lot of women did it. Guys didn't think it was a hard enough workout. And I said, go put yourself through it and, and push yourself and you'll see, see how hard it is. So good for you. And I haven't seen you in a while. You're in Vegas now. I've done three games in Vegas. And it's an amazing how you avoided Vegas when I was in Vegas those three times. So You mean you weren't at that juggernaut of a 3 nothing Vikings? Mike, I'm telling you, I was sitting in the oh press box, which God. is a mistake anyway. And I was just thinking the whole time, let, let's make this thing end zip zip. Like, give me a 0-0 tie so at least I can say I witnessed history. Like, I, I'm broken. I'm, I'm at this point, I'm just broken. Like my heart's broken. My soul's broken. My fandom's broken. It's all broken. Like I'm just, I look around. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm really, you're, you're, you're broken. Like a lot of the teams are in the NFL. So, you know, let's look at the NFL now that the uh, last week's games are done after the doubleheader on Monday night, where shocker of all shocks, both, you know, favorites lost Miami loses and green Bay loses. Now Miami's still going to make the playoffs, but green Bay could be fighting for their lives. And Jason, it's one of those what-if games, right? They lose to the Giants, and if you don't make the playoffs, you look back in the offense uh, or in the offseason at one of these games saying, what if we won the game we should have won? We could have been in the playoffs, but they did not. Miami has been shaky as well, but what did you take out of the last weekend of games as we get you know in inside a handful left in the regular season? The funny thing is, I don't think there are very many good teams. I mean, there are okay teams, but realistically, uh, this, the 49ers are great. I yes. think the Cowboys are great yes. at this point. I'll give you those two. But you start to look, and, and we've talked about this on your show when we try and do some you know, playoff committee power ranking type things. Right. Uh, outside of that, uh, there are yeah buts, as I love to say, about the Ravens, the, 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 the Chiefs, the Eagles, I go up and down the list. I just, I don't find there are very many teams I can trust. It's just, it feels like right now the the Super Bowl is bound to be San Francisco or Dallas against whoever. Yeah. And, and that's wild to me to be this late in the season and not really know who I can trust in the AFC. We And we've talked about why. We've talked about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, going into the weekend a couple of weeks ago, 50 quarterbacks had started. And now it's more. And by the way, we know how much Al Michaels loves a good game. Good luck to Al this Thursday when it's Aiden O'Connell versus Easton Stick uh, with the Chargers and your Raiders playing on Thursday. Oh, oh my God. But is, is the thought maybe it's a down year offensively because of that? Because defenses are dominating. You're seeing more stunts on the D-line more overloads on, on with backers stepping up on the line of scrimmage, trying to confuse the O-line, the O-line, probably the position that's the harder, harder transition of finding depth from college to the NFL. So there are, like anything else, it's more than one thing, but we're going through quarterbacks uh, pretty quickly here, like you're going through donuts. Uh, yeah, well, yes, and I think part of that comes to – you got guys in the league that are not as capable uh, at the quarterback position. You got guys in the league that haven't played as much football at the quarterback position, and it's causing a lot of chaos. You mentioned all the stunts and the defensive movement. I think we have to also remember that a quarterback has a couple of jobs before the snap of the ball. We talk all the time about can they dissect what the defense is going to be, but they also, part of that job is to figure out how to help the offensive line with wherever things are coming from, align things to help themselves in the pocket, right? Like, I don't think a lot of that is happening. So you have offensive lines that aren't great with quarterbacks that aren't great. And it just makes for offenses that are stale and they just can't get anything going sustained. And we're in a world now where it feels like one penalty on a drive is just killing. Yeah. Like because second and 16 is, is not an attainable down and distance for most of these quarterbacks and offensive lines. Like I, I think we have to remember that O-line play is bad also. And that's part of this equation. 
So I wonder, and, and you mentioned how Dallas is playing now. I called that Dallas and Eagles game in Dallas on Sunday night, and Dallas is about as hot as can be right now. And for an NFC that we all, me, you, and, and my son Mike, we have basically said it's San Fran, it's Philly, it's Dallas, it's Detroit at times. It feels like San Fran and Dallas, and then the bottom falls out a bit. Philadelphia is really, really hurting right now. And, and you mentioned the AFC. It seems now our, our power four changes every week, but it seems Baltimore kind of showing to be the more complete team. And probably one of the big reasons is Lamar Jackson has been staying healthy for them and they've been the most consistent team in the AFC. I don't think I can trust Miami, even though we'll get, I want to get into Tyree kill and what he's doing, but the loss they have to Minnesota, the fact that they have a lead with a couple of minutes to go and they can't burn the clock down at all and get the ball back to Tennessee and Tennessee goes down for the winning score. I can't seem to trust them. And I would have to point to Baltimore right now. And I believe Baltimore, you know, right now is the number one seed in the AFC. Well, and, and part of that is the Ascension is a flowers too has been so nice for them, but I, here's the one thing I'd say, because we want to leave the chiefs for dead. But as we've talked about before, Look at the Chiefs' losses this year and how many of them. Like, last week's loss is going to be added to the qualifier category, right? Uh, a, a crazy offsides penalty, right. whatever you think of it, is part of how they lose that game. They lose the first game of the year minus two of their best players. They lose a game where they easily could have won if if you get a wide-open touchdown catch. You, you lose a flu game where Mahomes is a shell of himself. Like, all of these things, as bad as it has looked for Kansas City, in all but one of their losses, and, and the, the one loss they weren't – Really, there was a questionable pass interference in the end zone on the Packers loss. Like, there have been questionable moments that have cost Kansas City the game. I don't think Kansas City now can make up the ground that they've been able to make up in the past. They're going to have to go on the road. I get all of that. I'm just not willing to let Mahomes – I'm not willing to to call them dead yet, even though we should. In theory, they've been in every game they've lost. And you're right. They will, for the first time in his career, for those that may have forgotten, Patrick Mahomes will have to play a playoff game on the road as Jason is enjoying my – birthday donut um, yeah it looks good man believe me i hear people talking about well they they're shooting themselves in the foot so they can figure out how to holster the gun meaning they're leading the league and drop passes they'll stop dropping passes they'll have stupid penalties they'll stop doing that well i mean we're at week what 15 14 week 14 and it's still happening so to to act like it can just shut off and then when you get to the playoffs see right now there's play a game a ah, bad game we got next week Get to the playoffs, it doesn't happen. Now it's you screw it up. Like the Eagles, last six games they've been trailing at halftime, but I think four of them they won. Well, you can't count on that in the playoffs. One screw up in the second half could cost you, and then you're going home. So that that's, I guess, what I think of it. While when you have Patrick Mahomes, you have a chance to win. But, I mean, they have not cleaned up their stuff, and their defense, which has been fantastic, has kind of leveled off a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You're right because there there is no more room for error margin on that uh, defense, particularly if they if they have an off day, they're done. And I do like what you said, and it makes a lot of sense. We can look at certain little moments in the season. The 49ers had a three game losing streak. We can't make make sense of it, right? You can have little lulls in the season, but to use the Tomlinism that we hear so often, the standard is the standard. At some point, 
you are who you are. And when it's happened this long into the season, it's just part of your identity. The, the fact that the Dolphins can't beat a good football team is part of their identity now. And they're going to have to play a good football team in the playoffs. So, you know, th- this is this is now the fabric of who these teams are. And you're right. The mistakes are part of the fabric for whatever reason of who the Chiefs are this year. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get to some uh, officiating, let's look at you know, the MVP and the different names that have come up for Dak Prescott being right there uh, kind of now. And, but also it's kind of just like why I don't like the Heisman because it always goes to a quarterback. I understand the importance of the position. Uh, And I'm happy Marvin Harrison Jr. was in New York, but there were four people there, three quarterbacks, and he came in fourth behind the three quarterbacks. So it's quarterback award, just like the MVP in the NFL is a quarterback award. So I'm always looking to give it to somebody who's not a quarterback. And there would be two guys, right, that you would talk about. It would be Christy McCaffrey and Tyree Kill. Any chance for either one of those guys, do you think, to slip in, not only because they're having a great year, but for it to happen, you also need to not have one quarterback just playing out of his flipping mind, you know, and have un- unbelievable stats right now, which unfortunately for non-quarterbacks, Dak Prescott is kind of leading that way. <laughs> So here's the only thing. There's a couple of factors in here. One, Tyreek leaves the game last night and the Dolphins are inept. He comes in and they score points, right? So I think that that speaks a little bit to what he brings to that offense. Offense Two, we do need to remind the world that the Eagles control their own destinies. Right. So if the Eagles went out with the easiest schedule left in the NFL this year, they're going to win. They, they will win their division, which will make the Cowboys a wild card, which is a little bit of a conversation. But I'm going to go totally inside baseball here for a second. And uh, I'm going to take people back in time to when you and I were together uh, on morning radio for ESPN at the time. And Dan Graziano was, was our guest one day. And we were talking about the topic of Russell Wilson had never even gotten an MVP vote. And when we went out to get grab coffee during the break, Dan sort of went off about the fact that the MVP voting in the NFL is different. You only get to cast a vote for one player. And that that's part of the reason why for years, you would hear, well, this person never got a vote. Well, if you only get to vote for one player, like I get to vote for the Bolitnikoff Award, which is the best wide receiver in the country. You vote for a first place, second place, third place. That's how most MVPs work. The NFL didn't work that way until last year. They changed the voting process last year where everybody that votes now submits a ballot of five different players. As a result, here's my logic. Tyreek, I think, is going to be second on almost everybody's votes, right? Because they're going to pick either Dak or Brock Purdy. So if Brock Purdy and Dak cancel each other out with some first place votes, they both get some, but Tyreek is constantly the number two on everybody. So I think that's what people are going to say. You can't give it to a wide receiver. I'm going to give it to Dak, put Tyreek too. I think there's a real chance for Tyreek to accumulate enough points in the voting to actually win this award when it's all said and done. Not because he got the most first place votes, but because he gets a few first place votes and all the second place. So, and everybody needs to remember it's a, it's a regular season award. And by the way, Mike has a Heisman vote, and after it came out, he told us who he picked. We talked about the, without question, the most talented award group was the Bolitnikoff. 
I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Roma Dunze, and and Malik Neighbors. I mean, oh my God. Who did you vote for? And, oh, will you tell us who you voted for? Yeah, no, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I, I went in the order that it finished. Marvin Harrison Jr. won, Neighbors 2, and he won, you know, Harrison won by one vote in the final oh, tally, it was. which oh, okay. it shows you how close it was. But to that end, for me, the one thing that was glaring is that Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't drop a single pass all year. Like, you just, you look at the numbers and, and you look at the way he played with uh, the the matchups he had and the way everybody paid attention to him and the pressure that came with all of those things. But for me, when I vote on that stuff, I have my opinion. And then I go to a bunch like, you know, Harry Douglas, a good buddy. Uh, I worked with Harry for a while. Like Harry played wide receiver in the league. I talk to guys like that and say, Hey, am I seeing this right? Cause I take this so wildly seriously, like the opportunity to give somebody that award. And this year, third year in a row I've been a voter this year was the toughest year by far like I agonized over that vote as weird as that sounds to people that that what what an absolutely dominant group that Bolitnikov this year incredible going to Tyreek Hill so last year I mean or in the Monday night game I'm sorry ankle injury only has four catches I believe for 60 some yards so while I agree with you he could be that guy do you think he has any shot Unless he breaks two thousand yards receiving, no, he's got to break two. That's right? what I, I think. Thought. That's why. I think that's why he came back in the game last night because I think he only played thirty three snaps yeah. when it was all said and done. So, uh, and thirty three snaps, he gets six targets, four catches. Like, I part of my belief in all of this, I really thought last night's game plan was going to be, especially against the susceptible Titans back end of the defense that gives up a lot of yardage to wide receiver ones across the league, you're just going to chuck the ball to Tyreek over and over and over right. again. I thought he had the chance to go for 200 yards last night, which now may seem foolish when you look at the box score. But again, he was on one leg and still only played 33 snaps and still had an impact in the game. So I think that he has got to have some big performances. I think that's why he was back in. So for those, again, that want to know the order, most receiving yards all time in a year, Calvin Johnson, 2012, 1,964. Second is Cooper Cup, 1947 in 21. And back in 2015, Julio Jones had 1,871 yards. Right, right now, Tyreek Hill in the last four games has to average 112 yards per game to get to 2,000. So Monday night cost him a little bit in, in making that amount and go up and I would say at this point if it's a quarterback probably leaning toward Dak as that guy 28 touchdowns six interceptions and that's the key after 15 interceptions last year one more topic before we get to college officiating so we, we've had a lot of complaints about it this year we saw Patrick Mahomes lose his mind uh, on the Sunday game when Kadarius Tony lined up offsides, absolutely lined up offsides, but somehow everybody wants a reprieve for a wide receiver lining up offsides. I know I got called for lining up offsides one time. I don't remember ever looking down and having the ref tell me to back up. Now, I do know, all that being said, wide receivers look over to the refs, and we even had Richard Sherman on. He said even DBs, when I'm in press coverage, we look, we ask, they give us thumbs up if we're good. Kadarius Tony didn't do that. But as Andy Reid said, hey, we usually get a warning. Like, we let you get away with being offsides and we'll walk over and warn the coach, which I think is why not just give more to the offense? You know, just keep handing them stuff. So Mahomes lost his mind, but they did get screwed in a PI call against Green Bay. So overall, where are you at with the officiating? First and foremost, I, I love all the Chiefs fans now that are like, oh, that's conspiracy. Like, the NFL really wants – I mean – 
Uh, oh, yeah, they don't want Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. That's cute. I, I mean, the, the fact that everybody has to make it a conspiracy is really – it frustrates me, Mike, because – there are a couple of things that I think are very true here. One is that it's an almost impossible job. Uh, officiating in the NFL is actually so difficult to do. And when you look at the percentages of the calls they're getting right, I wish the league would put out percentages. I wish that they would come out and give us the grades very publicly so we know, hey, this crew calls – because the, the teams get it. They know which right, crew's call right. holding. Oh, yeah. So, like, give me that as a consumer. Let me know that this crew calls more holding than anybody else in their accuracy percentages and night, whatever. But the one thing I would say, I went down the rabbit hole yesterday. You know me. I started reading every article I possibly could about the worst calls in NFL history. And you can find championship games pre-Super Bowl that were decided by what were clearly not fumbles that were called. Like right. all of these things I didn't even know existed. I think what's happened is because we live in a world now where Kadarius Tony lining up offsides results in 30 different camera views yeah, from 30 yeah. different angles and people yell about it on Twitter, it just creates an impossible situation. I don't think officiating's worse. In fact, I'd probably argue it's, it's probably better than it was in the 80s, 90s, all of these. I, I, I don't think it's worse. I think the attention we pay to it is different. Imagine when you were playing all the way back when, you know, they wrote your plays on stone tablets. Like, imagine when you were playing, if 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 there was Twitter to sit there and look at every call that, that ever happened. Like, And after the Green Bay game, Patrick Mahomes took the high road and said, hey, stuff happens because I'm sure he knows they get plenty of calls as well that go their way. But he lost his ever-loving mind uh, after that uh, incredible play, the pitchback by uh, Travis Kelsey for the what would have been uh, go-ahead touchdown. We will see. Right now, best team NFC, best team AFC. San Francisco, clearly, and I will go Baltimore uncomfortably. Like, I'm – I mean, I, I don't, I think right now, if the Super Bowl, right, right now, if we had the Super Bowl happening in Vegas, I, I think either the 49ers or the Cowboys would be a two touchdown favorite over any of them. I, I, I genuinely think that they, they kill them. Shockingly enough, I agree. I think it's San Francisco and I think it's Baltimore as of this moment, which means it will certainly change. Coming up next, college <laughs> football. The bowl season is starting. We got playoff games and the portal is out of its ever loving mind. We touch on that next. All right, let's do a little college talk here. Again, Jason Fitz in for Jessica Smetana, who is off for this podcast. Jason from Yahoo Sports also does works Fox Sports Radio. And he's, he's just out there doing his thing. In Vegas right now, I was in Vegas for three games this year and decided not to be out there. We will see each other for the Super Bowl, though. Are you ready for that? I mean, are you ready for the hug? I mean, let's just let's be real. We worked together for several years. And while we're working together, I got to worry about HR when I'm hugging Mike Golick Sr. I don't have to worry about that now. It, like, wasn't there, it's gonna be a wasn't there a story? And, and yes, Jason is a hugger and such a nice young man. He's a hugger and we like to mock him a lot. Wasn't there a, the, the big HR meeting at ESPN one time and they talked about touching or whatever and everybody looked at you because you're the hugger? Okay, so there was there's a thing called the college football seminar and they bring – they bring everybody from the whole college football universe, like every producer, every assistant, every person. There's there's hundreds of us in a room. And at the end of it, they did an HR presentation about, you know, because so many people are traveling, making sure your coworkers are comfortable. And as part of that, they were like, hey, no unnecessary hugging was part of their their. And they showed a little video of like a guy awkwardly hugging a girl that did not want to be hugged. Uh, immediately, my phone just ding, ding, ding. Jordan Rogers is two rows in, uh, in front of me and loudly turns around. He's like, you hearing this message? The funny thing is, I should note, it was all my male yes, friends yes. that were texting me being like, yes. hey, what? Like, but my phone 
blew up and my buddy sitting next to me was like, Hey man, should we be concerned at this point? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just, I just, I'm a hugger, you know, and, and you, you're going to love it by the way, early, early seed here, because you're super famous. Um, I'm going to be your plus one to all the parties, right? Like every single party plus one. My wife's coming on this trip. What do you think? All right. So I'm going to be your plus two. Yeah, there you go. On, yeah. on all the parties. Yeah. Plus two. Yeah. You and Mike can fight over the next spot. I'll take the plus two. Yeah. Mike would embarrass you. I would do the family proud. I'll wear a shirt that says honorary Golick. And then, I'll, you know. Here's the thing. I would probably give my two tickets to you and Mike because I'm kind of past it with the parties, man. A, they're on too late. They go on too late. And B, they're too loud. I'm going to go with my wife. Or we're going to sit in the casino and pull a slot machine or play blackjack. Can I sit next to you? So this is a very true story. I'm I'm from Vegas originally, and I love gamble. I'm not going to lie about that. Okay. But I'm not a very good blackjack player. Never really learned it. Never really learned the ins and outs. I, I know it, but I don't love Like, I don't play it. Right. So I take one of those little cards with me sure. that tells me what to do. I'm sitting there like, but I, I'm also not the quickest with the card, so I got to look at it, do the math. and then kind of, So, like, can I sit next to you knowing that I'm just going to be like, all right, it says I need to split here. I am very, very patient with people at a table, and I would hope they would be patient with me. It, we're not playing speed games. We're not seeing how quickly we can get through all the cards. So it, you're very smart to have the card if you don't know it in your head to do. My biggest thing, and one of the biggest things out there is what do you do on 16, okay? If you have 16, if I have 16 and the deal is showing seven or higher, I hit no matter what. Whether I got a 10 and a six or my cards are equaling up to 16, I will hit if the deal is showing seven or higher. I will do it every single time. What... That's the only thing I ask. If you do something a certain way, do it consistently. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I, by the way, I always hit on 16. I'm aggressive. I, I like, I'm always going to go for it. Like, I'm a bet on myself, so I always hit on 16. There we go. Like, I've got that principle down. Like, as a general rule, I got that down. So you're going to sit. You sit at the $500 table with me for one hand. Yeah, for one. Unless I win, and that's woo. I mean, that's the that's the uh, that's the know. other thing I can't stand is somebody who sits at the table and plays two hands and leaves. So I like to play roulette. I like to just sit there and have a good time at roulette. And I don't play a ton of money at roulette. I just play enough to, like, I'm dabbling, right? Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to stay alive. I'm never going to be really up. I'm never going to be really down. I'm going to sit there and get my free drinks for two hours. That's how I do it. The number of times I see somebody come up to roulette and they just pop thousands yes. of dollars down and then walk off. Yep. And I'm like, when did that work for you? Like, yeah. And even if it did work for you, how many times did you lose before you even got to, yeah, I, I'm out on that. So I'm out on one hand. Like you got to be committed. Do you, do you play craps? No, I heard that's the most yeah. fun. I don't understand it enough. I, I don't okay. understand. I, I would have to stand at the table with you, which scares the hell out of me. Uh, Cause I'm betting my money on something you might say, but I would need help at the craps table. The best way to learn craps, especially in Vegas, is to go early in the morning. Like, just go after you know, it's dead. And that's the way I learned. Like, I walked up to a table. There was nobody there. And the guy across from me explained every bet as we went. So, oh, I like, like I was the only person betting. And he would be like, hey, so if you bet this, 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 you can win here, here, here. And it was like, oh, bet inside, bet outside. Like, I got. So, I'm a very, like, I'm not coming and doing comprehensive 30 different bets. I know what I like to bet on craps. I know what I like to. But, yeah, that's a fun vibe. You, you'd be, I mean, just, you're so personable anyway people would want to yeah people would want to hang out with your let's make the analogy to sports we're rolling dice on the craps table that's what we're doing in the portal in college football right i mean we are throwing the dice there's over you know i think 1500 guys in the portal right now uh latest news riley leonard the quarterback from duke is now uh going to notre dame where we all thought that and that's that is going to happen 
But here we are. So it's not only the opt-outs, Jason, like, again, sticking with Notre Dame, Sam Hartman opting out of the bowl game, you know, to prepare for the NFL. Uh, So we have those. But all the portal guys, I mean, and and you know what? I want to stop hearing coaches complain about it. A, adapt or die, right? I mean, complaining about it ain't helping out, helping it figure out a way to make it work for your school because it ain't, it's not going toothpaste ain't going back in the tube on this one. Also, it's working. And I don't want to oversimplify, make everything about ratings, but at some point, life's about ratings, right? Like there is some proof in that. You put out a song and it never gets to the top 20. That has to mean something. You put out a song, goes to number one, that means something. And insiders, it, both ESPN and Fox that, that I trust, told me before the season they were expecting this year coming into the season to be a double-digit decline in TV ratings just because of the way the the schedule were, played itself out. Instead, it turned out to be historic records across the board for TV ratings. Why? Interest is up. And so for college football fans that are looking at any of this, whether it's the college football playoff committee, whether it's uh, the transfer portal, whether it's name image like this, every time I see somebody screaming, well, you need to fix this. No, you don't. Because, like, frankly, more people than ever are flocking to it. And the best thing about the transfer portal is in this survive or die sort of era is that it gives fan bases a chance for hope. If you are a fan of a team that's not particularly good for years, you needed to hire a coach. And if you're a Michigan State fan, got to hire a coach, got to hope that that coach can turn around and get some people in. It's going to take a few years to get their guy. So it's four years of trying before you even know if your coach is any good. Now you hire a coach and you say, okay, can they go to the transfer portal and get a quarterback? And if they can, it can be competitive in one year. So like, I think that's great for the sport that you have the opportunity to turn around and make your, your team, your program ascend quickly. Plus you look at, again, the, the biggest award given out is the Heisman, the winner this year, Jaden Daniels transfer, Caleb Williams transfer, Joe Burrow transfer, Kyler Murray transfer, Baker Mayfield transfer. These Heisman winners are transfers, and it does work. It can change your team, not only at the quarterback position, but obviously other positions as well. If you go on some websites, you can already see teams that are going to play in bowls of how many players have left that have jumped in the portal. It used to be the amount of names was a few that were getting ready for the NFL draft, and that was it. Now it's a long line of names of portal guys. Here's the other side of it, though, Jason, is – what does it do to a guy? And, and again, I'll stick with the Notre Dame just because of this, of this situation. Steve Angeli is the backup quarterback at Notre Dame. He was last year, uh, a, a couple guys back last year. And then this year, he played behind Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman's not going to play in the bowl game against Oregon State, so Angeli will get the start. Angeli will get the start. Then he'll go to winter workouts and he'll go to spring ball, and there will be Riley Leonard. So it's not just the transfer portal now in bringing in competition. Riley Leonard, we're just saying him and other quarterbacks that are going to other teams, you know what's coming along with that? A price tag. They are now getting paid. So sometimes you'll hear where there's a competition. Well, unless the guy that comes in that's getting paid falls flat on his face, he's going to be the starter. So there's that side of it, Jason, the Steve Angelis of the world play behind, play behind. Now it looks like it's going to be your job, but maybe it looked like that last year. Sam Hartman comes in, you're the backup. Sam Hartman leaves, in comes Riley Leonard. You're the backup again. I mean, it's 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 a domino effect, but it's always going to affect somebody negatively. Well, and that's why there are so many quarterbacks, because now 
you got to look, okay, can he transfer somewhere else? Right. And if he does, right. like how many places, how many ticks off the box do we go here? How much do we go around? Like it's, it becomes tougher and tougher. I, I would also say that there's this weird spot where if you're a group of five school and you're developing people, you want people to be good. The minute they develop to a certain level of platform, they can jump to a power five school, right? Like that, which makes a ton of sense. So now, but now that means that you got group of five schools turning around, trying to get the guys that are no longer wanted by power. Like this becomes its own kind of like NFL teams have a professional scouting department and a college scouting department. You've yeah, really got yeah. to constantly keep an eye on what's happening. I would also be interested on, and, and you and Mike would know this better, but it feels like this is 10, 15, 20 years ago. You got recruited to a school. You got there. That coach right. could treat you right. however that coach wanted to treat you. They could they could be just dog you know what to you every single day, and there wasn't a dang thing you can do about it. I feel like now coaches have to be far more aware too because if you are not feeding this kid, whether it's emotionally or whether it's physically, like you're not giving him what he needs, like there's a player empowerment to that. Like I feel like the tone of coaching has to have changed in college football. What do you think schools, and I think some have, do you think we'll go to like a, they wouldn't be on the coaching staff, for lack of a better term, a GM position, that their job is to is to not only wait till somebody goes in the portal, but have players scouted that if they're kind of like free agency, right? Who's going to the potential free agent? How do they fit to our team? That there's going to be a person and he'll have a staff under him that is involved in checking out personnel. 100%. I think that would make sense. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that in college football, I think could change over the next few years that would help. Uh, one is that the other is, I, I think we're going to see colleges start to develop NIL programs, basically not just where, Hey, I'm trying to get this kid paid, but they're going to start developing marketing plans. They're going to start developing all of these things on their own. I've said for years, if I, if I was sitting here as the athletic director at university of, of Jason Fitz, one thing I would I, I would have my sports entertainment kids that are trying to get law degrees come in and work in that department too, so they can figure out how to be agents. Like all of this, schools are going to figure out how to bring more and more of it in house, so that they can protect as much of the proprietary information as possible. Well, that's where the NCA wanted to go. Right now, the schools cannot be involved in NIL and where the players, whatever car dealership or whatever. Uh, Caitlin Clark from Iowa just signed a deal with Gatorade. Uh, so I mean. And the schools can't be part of that. But the NCAA is pr proposing now before when the NCAA washed their hands of this, as I call it, they punch as piloted this thing and pushed it on somebody else. Now they're saying, let's try and get control back. And I think one of the reasons and not to work, not to be hand in hand with what's going on in NIL, to take the NIL away from the companies and make it now you go through the school to go through the companies that way. I think one of the reasons for that, Jason, is right now a lot of the, the alumni money donated goes to the collective. And if it goes to the collective, that collective money goes to the players. Nothing's going to the school anymore. And I think the school is like, wait a minute. We used to get millions and millions more dollars here. It's now going into this one pot of, of gold here just for the players, and we're not getting it. All of a sudden, the schools feel like the players. Hey, there's a lot of money out there. Why aren't we getting it some of it or more of it? Well, and and – we always talk about facilities and stadiums and, you know, you got to have cranes in the air, everything around college football, all the isms that they say, 
that's got to be tougher and tougher to do when you're going to your donor and saying, hey, usually we need $5 million from you. This year, right. we need $5 million for quarterback and $5 million for the state. Like, right. and, and where's the return on investment at some point? These are the things you and I have been talking about for years. Like, If you are a donor, you're investing in this player to come in. But you, for what? Like how you're not making money back on it. So it's just to watch your good football, your football team right. be better. And there's so much risk to it. So I understand why it's a tricky area to navigate, but I think the first thing you said on this is the most important part of it. If you are a coach wasting your energy, trying to tell us why it needs to go back to what it was, that's energy you could be putting in to trying to figure out how to maximize what the situation is right now. Well, there were two coaches. One with Dabo Swinney has talked about how he likes the old fashioned way of recruiting. Hey, as long as Notre Dame keeps playing, you go ahead and keep doing it your way, even though I can't say a word because Clemson, you know, smoked Notre Dame this year. But, I mean, that for as great as they were, that's not going to sustain. He's got to buy into this a little more. And then I heard Matt Rule, the coach of Nebraska, talking at the beginning of when the people were hitting the portal. And he was like, hey, you know, quarterbacks now to get a quarterback is going to cost you a mil, mil and a half. You know, it's something we're probably not going to be able to do. And I thought two things because coaches always have an agenda when they're talking is he's either saying this isn't a road we're going to go on, which every alum should be going, Oh my God, we're in trouble. Or that was a direct message to to the big money alumni saying, Hey, you want us to compete? We need a lot more money in our collective so we can go ahead and get some of those players. Yeah. I I think that was, I like to call that a buddy Garrity moment, like Friday night lights, like buddy Garrity was (laughs) always up in it. Like he's talking to buddy. He's up there. He's like, man, going to cost 1.5 and buddy's sitting there saying, son of a biscuit. I better start selling some cars. Like Uh it just fit like it's a buddy Garrity moment. And you're right. I thought the same thing when I heard him say that. And that number is not inflated. I, I, I also think we need to understand that. Like that if you are a, a top 20 program that wants a top 20 quarterback, you're going to have to pay, in that range and higher to get that kid to come there. And uh, what's interesting is now uh, you're going to have a kid staying in school longer in some instances because uh, it helps them in their development. They're transferring more. I think, b- by the way, the fact that the kids that we're talking about coming into the NFL draft next year have played more football, right. I think helps evaluate yes. them. Like the NFL, you're like, I have a better understanding if I'm the NFL on Jaden Daniels than I ever would have in the old system. So like, I have a better idea who he is. So it's a win, but also Jaden Daniels along the way, like I interviewed him for Yahoo sports on behalf of power aid, right? Like he's making that money. So like it's, it incentivizes him to not jump before he needs to so he can be as successful as he can be. So there's a lot of wins happening across this landscape. It's just the fans that are being left behind feel like it needs to change. The only people complaining are the people that aren't getting what they want. You know, there's a lot of time, obviously, to talk about the draft coming up. Me and Mike were saying, are there just maybe two quarterbacks worthy of a first-rounder, but you know more will go? I told Mike, I said, four quarterbacks will go in the first round. And he said, no, I don't think so this year. I'm looking at you know, one of the many mock drafts already. And this one mock draft I'm looking at not only has four quarterbacks going in the first round, has four quarterbacks going in the first seven picks of the draft. Caleb Williams, number one, Drake May, number two, Jaden Daniels, number four, and then number seven, J.J. McCarthy, which I don't think is going to happen. But, I mean, you got Bo Nix out there. you got Michael Penix Jr. out there. I think for sure there's going to be four quarterbacks going in the first round. Even if the evaluation says maybe second round, teams, you know, Jason, can't help themselves. I think four in the top ten. And I'll say I've had three different people in the last week tell me Drake May's going first, not Caleb Williams. 
And I had two people last week say Jaden Daniels is rising up the boards and could actually be the second quarterback off the board. So Caleb Williams, who we all like four months ago, it was Caleb might force his way back to school. Now you're telling me he could be the third quarterback off the off the board. And, you know, a, a former GM told me a couple of days ago, Bo Nix is going to go higher than anybody thinks. And so that's all it takes before you, you need somebody to fall in love with. One and, and Bo is going to be one of those kids that comes in, 23 years old, married, played a lot of football, got a good head on his shoulders. He's going to interview great. He's going to run great in, in Indy. Like he's going to have a good workout. Somebody's going to fall in love with Bo Nix, and he's going to go in the top ten. That is what I like about a lot of these guys, though. They played a lot of football, and I think that may well we see the results of guys that have started 13 games, 15 games, 10 games. Uh, it hasn't worked out very well for them. Quickly looking at the Bulls, and I want to ask about the, the Final Four. Do the Bulls do anything for you? Are, are there ones you look forward to, or what What do you get out of them anymore? I always go back to what Junior said to me years ago when people were complaining about the Bulls. And he said, here's the thing. If you don't like them, don't watch them. But for the kids that are playing, it's a cool once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, you know, I growing up in Vegas, I was always a UNLV fan. We've joked for years, like, oh, UNLV football, who cares? They went to a bowl game. They, they got to a bowl game this year. They're taking on Kansas on December 26th. Lance Leipold, been a longtime friend of mine. I love this matchup because I love Lance, and I love, like, the, the fact that UNLV football is in this game is so cool to me. Like, so I'll turn it on. But realistically, the bowl games are for who they are. They're for the kids to get a once-in-a-lifetime experience and for the diehards that are really passionate about it. Like, if you're a Kansas football fan, the fact that your team's in a bowl game right now means something. Right. Right? I think nationally, maybe it doesn't, but I think to those audiences, it still does. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree there. And, and people remember what the bowl games are for right now. We'll call them meaningless. And in some ways, they could be, but coaches get 15 extra practices, and now that the rule changed a bit ago where you could play up to four games and still have a redshirt year, it used to be the first four games of the season. Now it's any four. So a lot of teams will wait for that fourth game to be a bowl game. And you'll get a lot of guys that will be able to play in the bowl game, younger players playing in the bowl game. And plus you get those extra practices. So that's one of the reasons coaches love them. For the people that gamble on them, hey, more power to you, man. It's like, it's like betting on an NFL preseason game because you just don't know who's going to be on, on the field unless they, unless they declare that. What we haven't talked since the final four came out, I will go to my deathbed saying Florida State should have been in it, and I'll, I'll explain why. What was your – what did you think the four was going to be, and how are you with the four that are there? I honestly thought Florida State would be the four. Uh, I, I did not think Alabama would, but I didn't have a hard time with it at the end. Uh, only because I think Alabama today is a better football team. So, you know, if I had to bet your house, because I'm not betting mine, uh, if I had to bet your house on Florida State versus Alabama yeah, on a neutral yeah. field, I would take Bama. And that's the hardest part about it. And, and this is the one thing I would say really got me fired up watching it. The number of people that were going to social media or TV and saying, hey, this is simple. And I look at it and say, man, if I, if I watch five different smart football people with really vastly different opinions on it, nothing about it was simple, right? So I think just acknowledging that this was a wildly difficult conversation. But here's the thing. Like, I, I feel like this is what they wanted when they designed the whole thing. Like five power five conferences, there was always a chance for chaos. I think they wanted this every year. They wanted five undefeated power conference champions, only four get in. Like they, they could have set this thing up with eight teams from the outset, six teams from the outset, never had this curiosity. So I think the committee finally got held to the fire and I, I respect the decision, but I feel terrible for Florida State. Yeah. I, I, and it comes down to you because 
most would think that way. If you put Alabama and Florida State on the field right now, it'd be, it'd be Florida State with their backup quarterback, who's Alabama is going to be favored. I get it. And, and I get, cause I want to be on the committee someday when I'm done with, with all my media stuff. Uh, cause I, I love watching tape on, you know, and film and, and love being involved in the games and watching. And I love good catering. So I think I would fit in well there, but there is the job of four best, but it's hard for me because the former player would always come out in me that said this team even scheduled two non-conference SEC teams and won them. Anybody that says, well, it's the SEC versus the ACC, come on. The ACC was six and four against the SEC this year. Not to say overall it's a better conference, but they played 10 times and the ACC won six of them. FSU won all their games. They won their rivalry game, which by the way, Alabama needed a miracle to win. They won theirs with a backup quarterback. They won in the, in the championship game against a, a, a ranked by the committee team in Louisville. The committee ranked them, and they had a third-string true freshman quarterback and still won the game. And I believe had more yards than Michigan did in their game against Iowa. I mean, so I, I, it is so hard for me, Jason, as a former player to say, you did all that. And, and lose me what the Liberty was undefeated. Lose me with that. I, we, come on. I mean, the schedules don't compare, even though – I understand Florida State's strength. The schedule was down a little lower. They have a defense that can hang with anybody in the country, anybody in the country. And as I have said, 10 years of this, of the 10 years, of all the years except one, in one or both of the semi-games, there have been blowouts, two, two scores. Every one. And we thought we'd get the right four in a lot of these, and there have been blowouts, okay? So even if it did happen, so what? It's happened all the other times. So I, I don't think I can get past it for those players. Um, obviously, I don't have a choice, and we look forward to it. And I actually think Michigan was bummed. I think Michigan would have oh, yeah. much rather faced a team with their backup quarterback out there than Alabama, who's on a roll right now. Uh, there's a there's another angle to I'd never thought of this till you laid it out. By the way, you'd be brilliant at the committee, and I think that's why it's important to have former players on the committee all the time. I I do think too, if Florida State gets left out, we spend the rest of time. The rest of college football history, we will talk about Florida State being left out. If Alabama had been left out of this year's playoff, it's a trivia note, right? Like nobody today is sitting here saying, God, I feel so terrible nope. that we left out Jalen Milrow. Like that is a, that's a very fair, like when you look at, at the ceiling and the floor, like we talk about players all the time, the floor of leaving Alabama out is the, oh my God, it becomes a trivia note. What was the one year that the SEC had nobody in the college right. football playoff? Great trivia note. But I, I do believe that college football diehards will say, oh, but remember Florida State forever. And I, that is a – that does speak to action consequence a little bit. That, that changes my mind a little bit. Like, I, I, I think this is why, again, the committee, A, it's a very tough job, and B, it's really important that you have smart former players that are invested in the current game on the committee all the time. And obviously this will never happen again because we go to 12 next year. We'll still have meaningful games – but it'll be probably that eight through 15 slot to see who's winning to get uh, to the 12, because all of a sudden the Washington Oregon Oregon game wouldn't have had as much meeting outside of undefeated conference champ. You're going to get a buy as opposed to you still being in the playoffs. Well, Jason. So again, we're taping on my birthday. So what else are you going to, you have already eaten a donut to celebrate my birthday. You ate a donut. What else are you going to do for yourself for my birthday? 
I think I might. Uh, I think I might go down and gamble a little bit. I mean, I'm in Vegas. I feel like I should go. Uh, I'll go to the five dollar blackjack table right. and uh, I'll, I'll, you know, play a hundred hands at the five dollar blackjack <laughs> table in honor of you. But like, I, you know, that's that's about the closest I can get to the five hundred dollar table. We will play at the five dollar table together during Super Bowl. I was kidding. I- and by the way, this this donut. It's it's a peppermint cheesecake donut from Pink Box with cream cheese frosting on it. I mean, you you, you had me at at peppermint and cream cheese and donut. Got a little bit of like a, just a little hint of the pepper. Oh, it's a delight. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Fitch, Yahoo Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Jason, thanks for sitting in. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.